This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. You can catch me, Politics Without the Boring Bits, Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. That's on your DAB radio, on your smart speaker, or download the Times Radio app. Well, definitely no boring bits today, as Rishi Sunak embarked on his reshuffle, sacking Suella Bravman as Home Secretary after she put that article in the Times without the Prime Minister signing it off. James Coverley moving from the Foreign Office to the Home Office to replace her, and then... David Cameron coming in as Foreign Secretary, the first Prime Minister to join someone else's cabinet since Alec Douglas Hume in 1970, no less. I have to say, I've seen quite a lot of weird things in politics over the years. I was, uh, my, my flabber was ghasted, my gob was smacked, I was genuinely agog, which will probably come across during the course of today's episode of the podcast. Coming up in our big thing, we take a look at the comeback kid, exactly how David Cameron got here, and what happens next with his biographer, James Hanning, and his former Deputy Chief of Staff, Kate Fall. That's coming up in just a moment. But first, a sort of instant take on the big changes made in the reshuffle with today's columnist panel. The Columnists with Libby Rachie, Libby Purvis and Rachel Sylvester on Times Radio. Uh, yes, and we say hello to Libby Purvis. Hello, Libby. Hello. And hello, Rachel Sylvester. Hi, Matt. Now, uh, Rachel, I want to start with you as someone who has known David Cameron and the good times and bad. Um, I asked uh, Michael Heseltine earlier to sum up David Cameron's comeback in a word. He said, excellent. Uh, Tim Shipman from the Sunday Times said it means another new ending to his book. His rolling <laughs> book, his trilogy series, which obviously began with David Cameron calling the referendum. And now it seems, I mean, if nothing else, there's a beautiful ending uh, to his series. How would you sum up David Cameron's comeback in a word? Well, the failed consensus of 30 years is over, isn't it? That, um, as Rishi Sunak described it. I think it's fascinating and it's a sign that Rishi Sunak wants to be sensible. He wants to shift back to the centre. Um, you know, reshuffles, sometimes everyone thinks it's all about human resources. It's basically a personnel issue. It isn't. It's about Prime Minister's values and what are they signalling to the electorate. Uh, 
and he had to get rid of Suella Braverman because I think he realised that he didn't share her values, all the things about the lifestyle choice on homelessness, condemning the protesters, hate marches, that kind of thing about the police and the double standards. And what he's, he's brought back a Remainer to the Foreign Secretary position. Um, he's brought back a former Prime Minister, somebody who's got serious credibility on the international stage. There will be controversy about this. So two things bring to, three things bring to mind. The Greensill scandal, obviously, lobbying scandal that David Cameron was at the heart of. Uh, secondly, the his links with China. He was the champion of the golden era of China. That will raise a lot of eyebrows, particularly on the Tory backbenchers. Um, and also, he did describe Gaza as the biggest open-air prison camp a few years ago when he was Prime Minister. So there will be issues with any kind of person with any kind of political history there are always issues but I think it signals that Rishi Sunak wants to take the Tory party back to the centre he wants to try and win from a position of um, pragmatic mm. sensible politics not ideological culture wars uh, which I think is is a good thing. Um, Libby it, I suppose there's a big question as to whether I mean to some extent he's tried everything else so why not try David Cameron um, but Rachel's so right that we've sort of had so many reinventions of, of Rishi Sunak. You know, the quiet man to begin with, where we, you know, the complaint was we didn't hear very much from him, he wasn't doing very much. Uh, then he he started doing quite a lot. Uh, it was sort of a high of activity in his five pledges uh, and all of that. And then and then they sort of had another reboot and it was much more sort of hardline right-wing, Rwanda, Rwanda, Rwanda. Uh, um, and then it, the party conference season tries to then declare the whole of the last 30 years a total disaster zone. Uh, it's prompting, actually, David Cameron to come out and tweet and say uh, it was a mistake on HS2, and now he's done f full circle again uh, to end up sort of back where he started, quiet competence rules of the day. Yes, it's fascinating. I, I, I absolutely, with Rachel on everything she's said, and I'm delighted that somebody has bothered to mention Greensill for just about the first time. Um, I, I have to say, we've no, had it, lots of messages mentioning uh, Greensill, China, <laughs> uh, Libya... Uh, Brexit, you know, as a as a major foreign yeah. policy, taking a major foreign policy decision, which didn't then go his way. But but tell me, I mean, uh, we, we've we're supposed to be having quite a reshuffle, and it's gone very quiet because my MP, uh, Environment Secretary Therese Coffey, went in ages ago. I and mean, what's happening? Is she being recycled or something? Uh, it's uh, uh, <laughs> normally if you're I, being I fired, you don't go in, do you? you yes. Yeah. So yeah, I but we need we need we need to yeah we need to know sort of a bit more now. I think I think to get a bigger picture because the Cameron thing obviously is huge and the sacking was huge but I want a bigger picture a wonderful um, report from my twi tweeter friend the artist Alan Parker who's very very left he said that he was very sorry Suella was going because she was a rabid dog and adds that she would have wrecked the party completely by holing it under the waterline and I think this is the best mixed metaphor I've ever heard <laughs> rabid dogs holing ships from under the waterline but you know, he's, he's quite glad because he, he you know he's quite sad because he feels that he wants this whole lot to collapse and now it's being shored up by David Cameron as a mighty bulwark. It's interesting. This is a good, good question someone sent in, uh, Rachel. Given David Cameron's coming back, does that mean the 350 backbenchers are not good enough for the job? It's not a ringing... Another person, if there's no talent left, hence uh, David Cameron, how, how disparaging are the backbenchers? They're just Cameron fodder with no intellect, says Alf in Halifax. I mean, there is a slight problem with that, isn't there? In the, it, it feels... Actually, slightly different to Peter Mandelson coming back for Gordon Brown. 
the the it, it's a, it's a it's a such a big throw of the dice. And David Cameron wasn't certainly by the end wasn't that popular amongst Tory MPs. No, I think you're right. It's, so a, it's a huge vote of non-confidence in his own party, actually, in his own backbenchers, parliamentary party, um, to bring back David Cameron. Uh, but I, I but I think. He's obviously decided he needs someone with stature and that there aren't enough people around the cabinet table even to give that yeah. job to. And you look at the sort of, um, the, the, the kind of lack of credibility of, of quite a few of those around the cabinet table uh, compared to what it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. Um, it is pretty extraordinary. And, but also the churn. So, you know, what is it? Five, is this now the fifth foreign secretary in five years? Five home secretaries? I think it's six education secretaries in 18 months, something like that. Uh, so no wonder nobody has time to get stature or credibility. And if... I mean, because Rishi Sunak tried to portray himself as the uh, the candidate for change at, you know, party conference, you know, drawing a line under the last 30 years, long-term decisions for a brighter future and all of that. You can't now go into a, an election campaign as the candidate for change. And if the Tory, if the Labour Party was worried its time for a change message wasn't landing, literally having the guy who was there at the beginning of this period of Tory government back at the front line just reinforces all of that, doesn't it? Well, and the strange thing is he's been really oddly reluctant to distance himself from the two who really were a disaster for the Tory party, so Boris Johnson and Liz Truss. He's not wanted to really dump on them um, as much as lots of Tory MPs wish he had. Um, so then you're right, it's, there's a sort of retro feel to it going back for David Cameron. But I think that is, the political significance is huge because he's, he's, he's showing that he wants to go back to a time when the Conservative Party was about modernisation, rebranding, centrism, decontamination of the brand, you know, mm. trying to stop the nasty party uh, after, you know, which is a marked contrast to Suella Braverman. Uh, somebody else has just been getting... Amanda gets us saying, I feel strangely comforted by David Cameron's appointment. He's an experienced politician. Uh, and then right next to it, Guy emails, so Sunak is raising the dead. This really is a zombie government. Maybe like all these things, <laughs> is the, the eye of the, of the beholder, Libby. <laughs> Yes, well, the great thing is that I think as Foreign Secretary, David Cameron's in, you know, that it's a good appointment to give him because he is somebody who smooths, who soothes. It's going to be increasingly important to have good relationships within Europe. I mean, we should think about that, you know, as well as the, as the Middle East, as well as Ukraine. I, I think uh, I, I think he'll be quite good at the job. And clearly he was bored. He, he wishes he hadn't left. He knows probably that he shouldn't have left. He may be able to make some kind of amends. So that, it's sort of, that, it, there's an okay feeling about it to me. It's all a bit centrist dad, but uh, it, it doesn't feel disastrous. I mean, I can think of worse appointments that uh, Rishi Sunak could have made, as I'm sure you could too. It's sort of the grown-ups coming back, isn't it? There has been sometimes a sense that the government's turned into squabbling children, or maybe squabbling teenagers at a party, mm. uh, beating each other up and sort of falling over and getting drunk and shouting and swearing. And it feels like there's it's a, a step back towards decency and maturity in grown-ups. Um, but, uh, you know, as we've both been saying, lots of problems potentially coming down the track. And I really wonder what the Brexiteers are going to say. They're, they're, I, they're, I want, how is Keir Starmer going to receive this? I mean, he, has he said anything yet about this? No, we've show? heard from Pat McFadden, who I don't need to tell you, is Labour's national campaign coordinator. He says very quickly checking. Yes, uh, uh, they said uh, a, a few weeks ago, Richard Sinat David said David Cameron was part of a failed status quo. Now he's bringing him back as his life raft. 
This puts to bed the Prime Minister's laughable claim to offer change from 13 years of Tory failure. There is a really interesting point here that um, it is Rishi Sunak deciding to stand up to the right of the Tory party. So the reason he brought Suella Braverman in was because he needed to kind of shore up that flank of his... Um, support. Uh, but this is now saying he's getting rid of her, bringing back a Remainer as Foreign Secretary. It's a big throw of the dice on that front. But I just remember Ken Clark saying to me once that the right-wingers, um, the Eurosceptics in the Tory party, they're like crocodiles around the boat and Prime Ministers constantly chuck buns at them and they think that they're <laughs> going to keep them at bay from the boat by throwing these buns. But the problem is eventually you run out of buns and then they come for you. Um, and that happened to multiple Prime Ministers, including David Cameron, actually. And Rishi Sunak, I think, is saying, OK, no more buns. Uh, you know, I'm bringing Cameron back into the boat. You lot, um, crocodiles go back to the swamp. <laughs> I'm loving this metaphor so much. Better than the rabid dog holding the ship underwater. So when you run out of buns, you get David Cameron. <laughs> Times Radio with Matt Chorley. Very good morning to you. It's Matt Chorley. Uh, bringing you politics without the boring bits, as we always do between 10 and 1 here on Times Radio. Definitely no boring bits in the politics today. Uh, Rishi Sunak sacking his Home Secretary, Swella Bravman, uh, replacing her with James Cleverley, who was the Foreign Secretary. James Cleverley replaced by David Cameron. Now, loads of you are getting in touch asking, how can someone who's not an elected MP now be part of the government? Uh, he'll get a seat in the House of Lords, is the uh, expectation. I mean, one option would be they could get an MP to resign, trigger a by-election and get him to stand, but there's a very good chance that might go horribly wrong. <laughs> uh, so, uh, he, will be, he will join, he will go into the House of Lords. The first Prime Minister to go in the Lords since Thatcher? Yes, None of the others have taken a seat in the laws, um, uh, and uh, he'll be he'll answer questions on foreign policy in uh, the uh, in the House of Lords in the same way that when uh, Peter Mandelson came back as uh, business secretary for uh, Gordon Brown, he was in the House of Lords, and it, you know, at various and times we've Carring seen people. Carrington was foreign secretary from exactly. the Lords, although so, the I mean the, that will raise uh, questions as well, but because it's such a huge time for international affairs at the moment to have the foreign secretary not able to answer questions from MPs will annoy some uh, backbenchers. And it'll be interesting to see who that he then puts in as the sort of deputy yeah. at the Foreign Office who will do all of that in the Commons. And actually what we saw when it was Peter Mandelson was we got a lot of him in front of committees, you know, far more uh, sort of foreign affairs committees being grilled by MPs and so on. You'll be able to hear what Peter Mandelson, the last comeback kid, thinks of all this on how to win an election uh, right here on Times Radio and on our brand new podcast uh, tomorrow. Um, uh, Rachel, you wanted to pick, Rachel uh, Sylvester still here and Libby Purse of the Always Old on Monday. Um, Rachel, you wanted to pick out some of the, the, the sort of rightly overshadowed all of these things. Two changes made. Nick Gibb as schools minister was announced he's resigning and Neil O'Brien as a health minister. Interestingly, both of those were being tasked with what were only a couple of weeks ago some of Rishi Sunak's big priorities. Maths, maths to 18 and young people not allowed to buy cigarettes anymore. Yeah, I think particularly the Nick Gibb one is really interesting to me because some uh, in Whitehall have been saying he's been the kind of roadblock to reform, if you like, on education policy. He's a real traditionalist. He's the kind of... He goes back to the days of Michael Gove, but he's almost the sorcerer's apprentice to Michael Gove. He's kind of taken that Gove revolution to new levels. It's all about knowledge rather than skills, uh, a very kind of... Um, narrow view of the definition of success 
in education. It's all about exams. Um, and Rishi Sunak has said that he wants to create this broader um, A-level system, but, you know, replace A-levels with this broader version of our baccalaureate that we propose with the Education Commission, um, which I think is a challenge to uh, the Nick Gibb view of the world. So that, for me, was really interesting, uh, you know, obviously overshadowed by other things. Uh, Neil O'Brien, as you say, was the kind of public health minister, a reformer, has been thinking a lot about these things um, quite seriously. Um, I don't think he had an ideological disagreement over the smoking issue, um, but it's interesting that he doesn't feel he wants to stay to follow it through. Uh, we have just heard as well, Will Quince has announced he is to quit as a Minister of the Department of Health and Social Care. He said he was leaving as he was standing down at the next election and now focused on his training as a Specialist Reserve Officer in the Army and his work as a constituency MP. A reminder, Libby, uh, that there were a lot of people, part of the reason why this reshuffle was being put off is there were a lot of people who want to stand down at the next election because they can look at the polls and they can see their seats are under threat. And bluntly, they can't be bothered putting all that effort in if they think they're going to lose them. And that the polls in and of themselves do not change just because David Cameron's come back as Foreign Secretary. Yes, there is that feeling, isn't there, that it's sort of nearly all over. Uh, you know, this is this, the, the last bit of the party. You know, how can we how can we liven these things up before everybody has to go home and, and <laughs> turns into you know the co coach and horses turn into white mice and a pumpkin again uh, for the Conservatives? But uh, it'll it'll be it'll be interesting to go on on watching what what does happen. I th I think on the whole, you know, that the sacking of Suella and this sense of a move away from the hard right of telling. The the crocodiles to just push off and you know do do their worst is I, I think it is sort of hopeful I would like to think that uh, you know, because it's going to be an opposition soon that, that it will be a, a good and interesting opposition you know because we had a terrible opposition under Jeremy Corbyn the Labour Party and having a bad opposition you know which is not competent and not sensible is actually as bad for the country as a bad government so you know I have I have hope and let's just touch on as well, I mean, you know, James Cleverly, well, he's been around for a long time, is seen now as a safe pair of hands. His sort of transformation from massive gossip to elder statesman is quite extraordinary. Um, he, he's been seen as a safe pair of hands at the Foreign Office. Uh, clearly, he had to depart from there because David Cameron was coming in. Uh, he goes to the Home Office with a lot to clear up. And you've been touching on... The fact in your column today, opinions are fine, attacking a whole race isn't. This is a time for calm, rational uh, nuance, all the things that actually been lacking under uh, under Sweater Bravman. It is. And I mean, I, I feel, you know, I was saying the column today, you know, that things need to be sorted out. You know, Suella just went straight away with, it's a hate march and the police are all wrong. You know, whereas actually everybody should have been doubling down on which parts of that march, which slogans, which posters were offensive and dangerous and inflammatory and illegal. You know, they should be doubling down on that rather than the whole march, because I, I will not condemn decent people for being so distressed about bombings in Gaza that they feel they have to take to the streets. You know, and a lot of them were decent people. But I think they should have been doubling down on the detail. And that is something which, which a Home Secretary and in conversations with the police and in conversations with adjustments of the law should be doing, not this grandstanding nonsense we've had from Braverman for years. What do you think of uh, Cleverly at the Home Office, uh, Rachel? I don't actually know what he, where he stands on a lot of these law and order 
questions. But I think if um, Libby says, what Libby says is absolutely right. The priority now has got to be to move on from this kind of divisive rhetoric uh, and the language of divisions and to try and calm things and soothe things and bring the country together. Uh, and I think that's where Rishi Sunak is actually. So he didn't repeat Braverman's comments about um, multiculturalism or homelessness or the hate marches, as she called them. Um, and I, I, I think that by appointing cleverly to that position, he will be signalling a change of direction uh, and a new, more um, conciliatory tone. Well, we'll see if uh, if that is how uh, if that is how it pans out. Get, I mean, given it, if, if if we can now bring back anyone in the cabinet, who would you like to see come back? We've had absolutely loads of people uh, making suggestions. David says bring back Portillo as minister for transport. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> um, where, were the, where were some of the others? Lord Baker should come back as education secretary. Says Jeff. Uh, bring back Disraeli as prime minister. Says Ross. Who do, who would you like to bring back, Libby? I think we'll have Disraeli. He could do something about this anti-Semitism on the streets, couldn't he? That's true. You could sort that out. Someone else says, uh, uh, Phil says, if the PM knows that he will lose the election, then why not bring out the big guns? The big guns. William Hague will be walking into number 10 next. Well, I did wonder whether he was going to offer that uh, Foreign Secretary to William Hague. Because they're obviously very close, because mm. Rishi Sunak took William Hague's um, job. Mm. Uh, not job, his constituency. His constituency mm. in Richmond. So, uh, what, go on then, make a prediction. This time next week, will this have made any difference to Rishi Sunak's fortunes in the polls? Is this the, what do you call it, like the defibrillator um, the, 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 he needed to sort of restart the, the Tory party in the public's mind? I don't think a reshuffle can ever do that. But what, if he's signalling a change of direction and a reset to the centre, then that could make a difference um, by the time of the election. I don't think it's an overnight thing. And I don't think just changing the people who are there uh, is going to make that difference. But if he then asserts this more moderate values, this more centrist approach, um, and doesn't give in to the crocodiles, um, then I think that might make a difference. But I actually think it's pretty difficult. You, you know, I yeah. think that time for a change mood is very, very strong in the country. Libby, just briefly, will it make any difference? Uh, not in a week. <laughs> <laughs> Libby Purvis and Rachel Sylvester there. And of course, you can read them in the Times every week. Alongside rolling coverage, particularly on big news days like a reshuffle, you just want to be able to go online and see it all. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash times red box to subscribe right now. Up next, it's Cameron, the comeback kid. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.
You're listening to the Redbox Podcast now. It's time for this. The Big Thing on Times Radio. Seen, I've seen a lot of political comebacks in my time, or at least attempted ones. None quite so dramatic as a former Prime Minister coming back into the Cabinet. In part because it hasn't happened uh, since 1970, when Alec Douglas Hume, former Prime Minister, had only been a Prime Minister for a year when he lost the general election, and then he was brought back by Ted Heath. Uh, he's then served all the way through till 1974, when a, uh, when a Tory Prime Minister beset by high inflation, high energy prices... Widespread industrial action called an election asking who governs Britain and Howard Wilson's Labour Party won. There's a reason why uh, Keir Starmer hopes that uh, next year's general election will be uh, could well be a rerun of all of that. So today we want to take a look at David Cameron's comeback, its significance of it. We'll take a look at his life in time as well. We're going to hear from one of his biographers as well. But first, let's just try and put this into the, the political significance of all of this. Times Radio Senior Political Correspondent Patrick Maguire is here. Um, Patrick, I've been asking people all morning, really, sum up David Cameron's comeback in a word. Uh, Michael Hesterton said it was excellent. Uh, Tim Shipman uh, t- from uh, the Sunday Times said it meant a new ending to his uh, ongoing <laughs> literary saga of Brexit. It might now be the uh, end point of it. What went through your mind, bearing in mind that we're uh, on the radio and so you can't swear, what was your first thought when you heard this news? Well, the question reminds me of the bit in Chris Morris's The Day Today uh, when uh, John Major punches the Queen and Spartacus Mills, the crisis correspondent played by Steve Coogan, is asked to sum it up in a word and he says he can't. And then Chris Morris said, well, can you sum it up in a noise? And Spartacus Mills just goes, ah! And (laughs) that was basically how I felt this morning because it was just... Completely, completely blindsided the entirety of Westminster, with the exception of the very tight circle who knew about this. I, I, it, defi- it genuinely defies any of the cliches you would ordinarily reach for in this in this moment, which isn't the same, by the way, as saying it's going to be transformative for the fortunes of British United's government. Let's deal with the uh, other big event of of the day: Suella Braverman out as Home Secretary. Uh, we think specifically because of her refusal to change her article in the Times uh, uh, last week. Had he not gone for David Cameron, you know, the sacking of a Home Secretary for any reason is a huge, huge deal. You know, this week of all weeks, with the Rwanda ruling uh, coming as well, would have been a huge deal. Um, we haven't heard... I don't think anyone who's come out particularly cross about the Suella Braverman decision so far. Uh, is that just, like, all done and dusted, and by this time next week it'll be Suella who? It's really interesting, that, isn't it? In that for weeks and weeks and weeks, we've heard that sacking Suella Bradman would make her a martyr on the right of the Conservative Party that immediately, as the Times reported on Friday, that two ministers would go if she went. Those two ministers haven't gone. I think we can safely assume Will Quince and Nick Gibb are not the Suella Bradman solidarity campaign. So you look at this and think, is the Suella Braverman right of the party Praetorian Guard narrative the dog that didn't bark? I think it's significant as well that James Cleverley, broadly popular across the span of the Conservative Parliamentary Party, has been appointed uh, Home Secretary as well. So I think 
for the vast majority of Conservative MPs, there's very little to complain about in the appointment of of James Cleverley. And given that it's all been eclipsed by David Cameron anyway, I do think that we may see in a week's time, a fortnight's time, a couple of months' time, just like Priti Patel before her, Suella Bradman, shorn of the trappings of office, is sort of not the huge figure we thought she was. Well, let's turn to the huge figure of the day today. David Cameron returning to frontline politics as Foreign Secretary, taking a seat in the House of Lords to do so. So he'll answer questions on behalf of the government and the Lords rather than the Commons. An extraordinary comeback. He led the Conservative Party for nearly 11 years. Only Stanley Baldwin, Margaret Thatcher and Sir Winston Churchill spent longer in the job in modern times. He returned the toys to power after more than a decade in the political wilderness. Arriving in the Commons in 2001, he burst onto the scene, becoming leader just four years later, beating some far more experienced politicians to the job. Young and more socially liberal, he set about modernising the party. I want us to give to this country a modern, compassionate conservatism that is right for our times and right for our country. After beating David Davis, he quickly got into the swing of things in his first PMQs in opposition to Tony Blair. This approach is stuck in the past, and I want to talk about the future. He was the future once. <laughs> then this. Ten o'clock. And this is what we're saying. It's going to be a hung parliament with the Conservatives as the largest party. Our country has a hung parliament where no party has an overall majority. And we have some deep and pressing problems. A huge deficit, deep social problems, and a political system in need of reform. For those reasons, I aim to form a proper and full coalition between the Conservatives and the Liberal Democrats. I believe that is the right way to provide this country with the strong, the stable, the good and decent government that I think we need so badly. But that was an extraordinary moment. The first coalition government since the Second World War. An historic moment in British politics. And one that returned the, the Conservatives, installed a Conservative Prime Minister in Downing Street for the first time since 1997. We should remember where we've come from. Three defeats, 13 party conferences, 4,757 days in the wilderness. And you remember all the things they said about us? They even called us a dead parrot. That we had ceased to be. We were an ex-party. But it does turn out we were actually only resting. But then along comes this man. Get Brexit done. To placate the Tory right, David Cameron promised a referendum on Brexit in the 2015 Conservative Manifesto. We will give the British people a referendum with a very simple in or out choice to stay in the European Union on these new terms or to come out altogether. It will be an in-out referendum. A huge moment in Britain's foreign policy. He went on to share platforms with Labour Party figures as he backed Remain, but promised to stay on even if the public voted to leave. I think the question is, if we, leave the, if we vote to leave, will we carry out that instruction? Yes. Will I carry on as Prime Minister? Yes. Will I construct a government that includes all of the talents of the Conservative Party? Yes. Do I think it's the right course for our country? Sir. No, I don't. I think we would be stronger, so safer and better off. You'd be in a very, very... 
but things didn't quite turn out that way. But the British people have made a very clear decision to take a different path. And as such, I think the country requires fresh leadership to take it in this direction. I love this country and I feel honoured to have served it. When he went on to finally confirm when he would be standing down as Prime Minister, he almost seemed to be whistling as he went. Right. So, what has he been up to since then? Back in 2020, during the early state, the middle stages of the pandemic, I spoke to David Cameron and he told me what he'd been up to. I was spent. Um, I was at our house in in Oxfordshire with my wife and children. My wife was battling hard to um, save and promote her fashion business. I was working less than that, and so I did. I cooked all the meals. I did my best to um, keep the place provisioned. Um, a bit of homeschooling, but that wasn't my strong point um and uh i worked for the chipping norton food bank actually um one or two days a week which was great to do something to help people who were really isolated and stuck at stuck at home but in terms of what i do i'm president of alzheimer's research i was a, did a lot as prime minister to try and promote cures for dementia and i'm continuing that in my as it were afterlife i'm still president of national citizen service the big volunteering charity and i work with um some businesses in the tech space so i'm much less busy than i was as prime minister accepted do you but miss it yes there are, of course there are things that you you miss i mean it's an amazing job an extraordinary opportunity and you know the opportunity you get to work with extraordinary talented civil servants and people in our military and intelligence services all of that you 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 miss um some of the pressures and uh the stresses uh you you don't miss and you know obviously it's it's been odd being in lockdown not being able to do very much and and watching a government deal with you know a crisis that is far greater than anything um, John Major or Tony Blair or Gordon Brown or I had to deal with and so I think all of us have a the sort of ex-Prime Minister's Club as it were have a real sympathy with you know the fact that it's unbelievably tough to get it right and you're having to make so many decisions Prime Ministers always have to make sort of three or four quite big decisions every day but here it's just decision after decision after decision and you're not going to get all of them right it is really really difficult so I think we have to bear that in mind uh, maybe you'll now be wondering if Rishi Sunak has made the right decision. Of course, it wasn't all food banks and Alzheimer's. Uh, while he was away from frontline politics, David Cameron became an advisor called, to a company called Greenshill Capital. In 2021, he was found to have lobbied ministers to allow Greenshill, which had by then collapsed, to receive business support loans during the pandemic. I was paid an annual amount, a generous annual amount, far more than what I earned as Prime Minister. And I had uh, shares, not share options, but shares in the business, which vested over the period of time of my uh, contract. Um, and so it's, like it's important for the committee to know that I, you know, was absolutely had a big economic investment in the future of Greensill. I wanted the business to succeed. I wanted it to grow. Uh, yeah, that was him giving evidence uh, to uh, MPs as the scandal engulfed him. Well... He's putting all that behind him today, or at least hoping to, confirmed as the new Foreign Secretary, joining Rishi Sunak's cabinet. Swella Barman sacked his Home Secretary, James Cleverly moving from the Foreign Office to the Home Office. I asked David Cameron again in 2020, what's the best way to do a reshuffle? Look, I think uh, every case is different. In fact, when you're Prime Minister, you sort of think, surely there's a handbook for when people have to resign and when they don't have to resign. And although... 
you know, I was Prime Minister for six years, you get lots of cases and some survive and some don't. And I still, if you ask me to write the handbook now of exactly when um, resignation is right and when it isn't, it's, it's not that clear cut. Well, let's speak to two people who now know uh, David Cameron better than most. Uh, Kate Fall, now Baroness Fall, was Deputy Chief of Staff to David Cameron when he was in number 10. Hi, Kate. Good morning, Matt. And James Hanning, uh, who uh, was with uh, Francis Elliott, the author of the definitive account of the uh, David Cameron years, David Cameron's biographer. Hi, James. Morning, Matt. Morning. Uh, Kate, uh, did you know this was happening? And if not, what was your reaction this morning? Well, um, David did take soundings from uh, some of his, uh, just one or two of his sort of closest um, allies. And but it, yes, it certainly was a shock. It certainly wasn't what I was expecting. I do, I do commend Rishi for um, putting someone of such stature and experience in in an important job at such an important time, and not minding uh, to have someone sort of senior at all pop alongside him. It's um, refreshing to see a prime minister who's um, happy to do that. Uh, what did you make of it, James? Is this a sign that actually David Cameron hasn't really enjoyed the last seven years in the shepherd's hut, trying not to lobby for anyone? <laughs> well, yeah, I think that's right. I mean, uh, uh, I was thinking earlier, uh, the oldest cliche in the book is, is that all political careers end in failure. And David Cameron, you know, would have more reason than most to think that, given the, you know, the, 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 from his point of view, the disastrous referendum result he you know he held the referendum uh, and and got the result wrong and you know for a lot of us that's been a sort of calamitous uh, mistake and and you know he's had to live with that that was of course compounded by the greensill thing which didn't make him look great either so uh, yeah given the opportunity for for one last gig uh, you can see he would he would probably want to seize it with both hands it, for how long it lasts we'll see but um no, I'm, I, I think he's, you know, he's always wanted to be a politician and, uh, no, he's back, he's back in the saddle. So, you know, he, he'll be delighted, I think. Uh, Kate, when you mentioned he was taking soundings, is this he sort of asked you in general terms, would I be mad to go back rather than talking about specific jobs? No, I mean, I think, look, I mean, the fact is, is that, you know, it's a, it's a big move for him. He he will have talked to, him, most of all, talked to his family, his, his children and, and his wife, and they're the most important people to him. But, you know, look, Things are very difficult in the world today. We've got the Middle East, we have tensions in China, we have Ukraine, Russia. Um, you know, having someone of his stature with his experience on the world stage at this time is a really good move for the country. And, it, you know, he, it's an honour for him to go back and do public service. He believes in that. I think it's good for us and good for him. Um, and I think it's commendable of Rishi to have reached out. I suppose some people listen to that, Kate, will think, well, you, all the things you just listed, China, he mm. tried to get in bed with China and every Tory Prime Minister since has, has distanced themselves from that. Uh, you talk about the Middle East, his track record, particularly in Libya, was pretty bad, uh, given that they went and removed uh, Gaddafi and then sort of just packed up and, and left afterwards. Um, and then closer to home, you know, European capitals uh, uh, right across Europe, still pretty furious with it for calling this referendum and reassuring well, them it was all going to be fine. Well, Matt, in, in answer to that, I would say, first of all, he saved lives in Libya. Second of all, he, um, in China, has changed a lot since she has been around for many years and moved to a more autocratic nature. So China has changed and our reaction to China has changed. And in terms of the EU... 
He put a question to the country where democracy. So on all of those fronts, I, I, I disagree with the viewpoint that you're you're putting forward. Fine, but I, I was I was merely making the point that uh, that some listeners might be thinking, James, um, how uh, how do you think? David Cameron puts himself sort of in in history. He'll be aware of the Alec Douglas Hume comparisons, albeit that you know the Tories went on to lose uh, that election. Um, do you think he just hopes that actually, come late at the later point in his life, we yeah you know, we we come to see him for more than uh, just losing the referendum? I mean, he's got to do something pretty spectacular. I mean, short of solving the crisis in the Middle East, he's got to do something pretty spectacular as Foreign Secretary for that not to ultimately be the the first line of his political obituary. Yeah, well, a friend of mine texted me and said, well, what's in it for him? And and I think, yeah, it's a pretty tall order to to kind of bury the memory of the of the, of the referendum, as you say. On the other hand, I suspect, uh, as Kate says, it's quite a, a big, a kind of magnanimous thing of Rishi to do to bring him back. And he did, uh, you know, he was criticised by some people for not having a, you know, clear sense of direction and being more of a, conservative by disposition than by kind of uh, you know ha having a, a you know checklist of things to do but he he was by and large fairly uh, you know fairly competent and shrewd uh, figure and i think he he will he will be very useful to rishi uh, the, the other thing of course is that this, this will rattle the bars of boris johnson no end um, <laughs> as a as a as a because rishi and, and boris as we know are not best of friends and i think the fact that cameron is now back on the stage uh, will be um yeah it may it may it may rattle boris a little but no it would be remarkable if cameron you know rescues this this uh, this huge uh, poll, um, uh, you know, this, this this great losing position in the poll that that would be extraordinary. But you know, he can mitigate he can mitigate the memory of um, uh, of, of his years as prime minister. And and yeah, you know, the most recent memory is probably the one that that uh, you know will 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 have a you know it'll appear in the foreground as it were of people's memories. Do you mean Patrick McGuire uh, back in there? Patrick, the, 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 in terms of the politics of this, it is extraordinary that only six weeks ago, Rishi Sunak's previous latest relaunch, Reset, was to position himself as the, the counterpoint to 30 years of a political status quo that had failed, uh, which included, you know, clearly David Cameron was in, in charge of the Tory party, a big chunk of that, and prompted David Cameron to publicly criticise him over his decision to scrap HS2. So you, you sort of wonder both, how long has this been in the motions for? And was there a lot of kissing and making up to be done? Well, and indeed, David Cameron also publicly criticised another policy position to which Rishi Sunak has committed, the cut in the 0.7% of GDP aid target. Yes, you imagine there was perhaps some awkward conversations. I'd be very interested to see who brokered it. It's not hard to detect the... Uh, hand of William Hague, who of course is very close to Rishi Sunak and David Cameron. You wonder whether he uh, he had a role in this. In terms of the politics, though, I'm much more interested, less in that narrative, which is obviously awkward for Rishi Sunak, but what this means for the face the government presents in two respects. One is you have a foreign secretary who is basically immune to the vicissitudes of domestic politics, a bit like Anthony Blinken, who can fly around the world not having to worry about, uh, not necessarily having to worry about being re-elected or whatever. So that's very interesting. Uh, and the second thing, uh, the second thing, as you were saying, is, you know, how do you, how do you sell this to the public? Indeed, will the public care at all? 
Um, one thing I want to ask you about, Kate, so is um, uh, people pointing out that uh, David, this, this now means that all four great officers of state are held by men. It's the first time that that's happened uh, since Gordon Brown's, uh, the last days of Gordon Brown's government, Alan Johnson, uh, Alistair Darling and David Miliband uh, are all in the top jobs. Does that sort of thing still matter? Yeah, I do think it matters. I think I think that is definitely a shame. I, I hope let's see what happens with the rest of the reshuffle, whether we see people like Laura Trock coming in, mm. whether we see more women in the cabinet. Um, but yeah, I think I take your point. But look, at the end of the day, um, he had, in my view, um, done the right thing to get rid of, of Suella Braverman, especially after this weekend. Um, and, um, and David Cameron, I think, is a very good choice. So sometimes that's just what happens. Uh, we should say that Theresa May has given her congratulations to David Cameron on his return to government. His immense experience on the international stage will be invaluable at this time of great uncertainty in our world. Looking forward to working together again. I wonder why I didn't go the whole hog and put her in back in, in the home office. There's still Patrick. time. There's still get time. The, the reshuffle's not get, finished. Get the, old, <laughs> get the old gang back together. Get Liz Truss in. She could be Chancellor. Um, what, what, what could possibly go wrong? Possibly go wrong. Uh, uh, James, does this mean you're going to have to do an updated edition of your biography of Cameron? Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. We'll have to speak to Francis Elliott, my co-author, about that. But, um, I, yeah, he'd have to do something. I don't know. I, I, never saying that. And never. But he'd have to do something pretty remarkable, as you suggest. And uh, who knows? If the Tories won the election, then, you know, people would just say, oh, well, there you are. You know, let's uh, bring back Dave. And that was the secret. That was the secret. It's unlocked it all. Um, uh, Kate, uh, do you think this is going to be enough? to uh, kick-start the Tories' poll ratings, which basically haven't moved despite all of the many reinventions of Rishi Sunak uh, that we've seen in the last 12 months? It's difficult to tell, Matt. I mean, obviously, they are, you know, way, way behind in the polls. You have seen a bit of an attempt to build up momentum with King's speech and now the reshuffle, and they've got the autumn statement next week. But I think, look, to me, I mean, so and, and coming into... You know, next year, they'll hope to have sort of fresh faces promoting the, the big themes of the Rishi government um, and hope to turn around the polls. I mean, we shall see. But I think the main thing is, is what's best for the country is to have some really good people in place. David Cameron, Jeremy Hunt kept in place. I'm sure James Cleverley will make a good Home Secretary, certainly better than Suella Braverman. So we shall see. And what's your what's your top tip to him when he's entering the House of Lords? What's the thing he needs to get his head round? How does the canteen work? Where were the loos? What's your what's your top tip for? I for, don't for think David Cameron will be spending very much time in the House of Lords at all. He he'll be on a plane trying to help sort out some of these problems we're facing globally. Very good. Although obviously he will be there answering questions because that will be one one, one key part of it. <laughs> uh, Kate Fall, Baroness Fall, uh, good to speak to you. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, former you. Deputy Chief of Staff to David Cameron, uh, James Hanning, uh, joining us as well. Biographer of David Cameron. Uh, Cameron, practically a conservative, uh, which he co-wrote, as you were saying, with Francis Elliott. Um, uh, Patrick McGraw, that was the book that revealed that, that, that David Cameron enjoyed chillaxing. Well, it turns out he's probably had enough Enjoyed chillaxing, was nearly expelled from eating for um, a bit of uh, a bit of dope. Um, but that's the thing, too. You, you, mentioned, you mentioned chillaxing. That is, speaking to friends of David Cameron and people who used to work for David Cameron and Tory MPs this morning, all of them have said to me, David Cameron has been really, really bored and unfulfilled over the past seven years. So that is part of the reason why he would do something like this. But there are so many questions, you know, who responds for the government in the Commons? Does David Cameron still get, as uh, Rachel Sylvester was saying, still get that dosh that former Prime Ministers get? Um, 
you know, in 2010, he called Gaza a prison camp, both in the Commons and in a speech in Turkey. Is that still his view? Are we going to see a shift in the UK's position? What role does he want to play in the Middle East? Is he going to be, you know, in meetings with MBS, etc., etc.? There's so many fascinating questions. And while this isn't going to shift the dial, it's obviously helpful for the government. Let's not lose sight of the first thing Rishi Sunak did this morning, which was sack Suella Bradman. It is obviously helpful for the government in some respect, even if it's very, very limited, to not have a Home Secretary who's veering off message every week, or indeed, as per last week, multiple times a week. Uh, so while David Cameron himself is unlikely to be transformative, Suella Bradman going is clearly good news for the number 10 comms grid, if nothing else. If you just wanted a reminder of just how tough things are for, for Rishi Sunak, uh, while all this has been going on, there's been a drip-drip of, of bluntly people who are not household names. Uh, Nick Gibb, Will Quince, Jesse Norman. Is there another one? Well, uh, Neil O'Brien. Uh, Neil O'Brien's the other one. Uh, all long-standing min- mid-ranking ministers. Mid-ranking ministers broadly considered to be competent and good at their jobs. And actually quite, quite Cameroon in their politics, all announcing they are quitting the government largely because they're standing down at the next election, arguably because they think they might lose their seats. And that's just a reminder of the the, the way the state... Uh, we're in, and, you uh, know, if you quit right now, now, you've had a year out of government, so you can just take up a new lucrative private sector job. And that's what we've got time for on today's episode of the podcast. Don't forget, How to Win an Election returns on Tuesday. Peter Mandelson gives his first reaction to David Cameron joining the cabinet. The last time a Prime Minister in trouble reached out to a former colleague to try and shore things up was when Gordon Brown brought Peter Mandelson into his cabinet, into the House of Lords, to try and rescue his premiership. Did it work? Well, we all know what happened in 2010. You can hear Peter Mandelson plus Danny Finkelstein, one of David Cameron's closest advisors, and Polly McKenzie, who is the Lib Dems' head of policy, worked very closely with David Cameron in number 10. You can catch them all on How to Win an Election Tuesdays, wherever you get your podcast. But for now, for me, Matt Cholly, it's goodbye. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.